0: Man, if you have your Bibles, would you open them to, you guessed it, the book of Jonah, right? Some of you guys are paying attention. We are going to be in a brand new series uh, that I'm starting. I'll carry it on for the next couple weeks. Um, It's just entitled Jonah. We're going to be diving in. Jonah is roughly, I don't know, it's about the last last one-third of the Old Testament there, so maybe somewhere about... 40% 40% of your way through your Bible, if you have a complete Bible there. Um, but most of us are pretty familiar with the story of Jonah, right? Jonah is a man that's running away from God. He jumps ship, and there's a big storm, and they toss him over. A whale swallows Jonah. Jonah lights a candle, and the whale throws him up on shore, and he says, I'm a real boy, right? No, that's, that's Pinocchio, <laughs> Right? That's not the story of Jonah. I know it gets kind of confusing there. But but this uh, series is really about learning to properly process the voice of God in your life. Properly processing the voice of God in our life. You know, what do we do when God speaks to us? What do you do when God speaks to you? Most of us would say, I would obey. Well, and that's what we all like to think. We all like to think we would obey. But would we? I bet you that we would obey when we're referencing those things that God asks of us that are palatable. And that are things that we can handle. You know, like when God says, hey, go to church. Right? I think I can handle that. I I can do that, God. Hey, you know what? Um, Hey, put 20 bucks in the offering. I'm like, okay, God, I I think I can handle 20 bucks. I got plenty more over here. What about, hey, God, you're asking me to do a Christmas box? I can do a Christmas box, right? It's just one. See, oftentimes we obey when it's things that are palatable to us. But what happens when God challenges us to do something that's out of our comfort zone? Something that's bigger than we really want to do. You know, like when God challenged Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Or when God said, Moses, you're just going to have to get beyond yourself and go into the most powerful leader in the, in the free world, Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him to let all of the Israelites go. What happens when God challenges Old Testament prophet Jonah to go into Nineveh, the capital of Assyria? The, 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 the vilest, ruthless, barbaric kingdom on the face of the... It would be like you and I walking into North Korea and having a meeting with Kim Jong-un. Telling them that he needs to denuclearize. What if God called you to do that? How would you feel about that? How do you process in your own life when God says go? And and I like to think that some of us in this place we're going to be like, Uh, Peter and Andrew, you know, in Matthew, when Jesus is walking by and Jesus looks at him and says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of man. And in Matthew 4, verse 20, it says, immediately they left their boats. See, I like to think that some of us uh, would be immediate. We would just obey like, okay, God, here, uh, whatever. But I also think that some of us will be like the rich young ruler. When God says, hey, go sell everything you have and then come follow me. And he goes away sad because of his wealth. But oftentimes I think most of us will be in the middle somewhere. And we'll be wrestling out the voice of God and the call of God in our lives. And we'll find ourselves a lot like Jonah. Trying to figure it out. Trying to diagnose it. Trying to process... God's voice in our life when God says something bigger than we're prepared to hear. So today I want to dive into Jonah and I want to look at four considerations that will help us process the voice of God in our life. Four considerations. And I'm going to move quick today. I know time is escaping us. The first consideration is that God is always speaking to us. God is always speaking to us. Uh, If you look at verse 1 of Jonah, chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And it's at this point of the story, um, I'm sorry, at this point of the story, Jonah is already uh, a well recognized prophet. He's already famous in his own right. His name in Hebrew means dove. He is a messenger of peace. He is the peaceful prophet. And on top of that, our text tells us that he is the son of Amittai. And Amittai means truth. So that's not a bad title for a prophet. My name is peaceful, but not only that, I am the son of truth. I am known as the peaceful, truthful prophet and in verse 1 it tells us that the word of the Lord came to him and I want you to know that God's voice is always speaking we learned uh, a couple of weeks ago through Balaam's donkey about how God will go through great lengths to speak to us and I believe that's true for us today God speaks to us continually Here are ways that God speaks to us. God speaks to us through general revelation, through nature. You know, we just spent some time uh, down in Springfield, Missouri, and we had a little bit of time to kill. And one of those things that I have never done in Springfield, Missouri, is go to uh, the Bass Pro Shops Aquarium. And if you're ever down that way, you need to do it. It's It's really pretty cool. But we went through the aquarium one afternoon, and we're looking at all these different species of fish, and there's animals, and there's everything you could think of. It's there. Uh, and then there's a little video clip of Johnny Morris, who's the founder of Bass Pro Shops. And he comes out, and he's talking about the importance of fishing, the importance of hunting, and the uh, uh, importance of uh, conversa- uh, conservation. There, I said that wrong. Conversation's important, too. All right. <laughs> conservation. Thank you. But he's talking about that. He says, every time you step out into nature, every time you go out, every time you go fishing or you go hunting, you are going to the church of nature. You know? And and that's how God speaks to us. Everything in creation echoes his greatness, echoes his fame. Johnny Morris, in, in that clip, he was really just echoing the Apostle Paul. Paul says this in Romans chapter 119. He says... What may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. And so we can see, clearly see and clearly hear God through what he's created That's called general revelation. But some of us are a little bit slow. We need something a little bit more than just general revelation, right? And so God speaks to us through written revelation. How many of you guys are thankful for the Bible? Amen. Without the Bible, I would be lost. See, the Bible's more than human wisdom or human understanding. It's more than just good people or prophets that wrote down good stuff. It's more than just historians that chronicle the, you know, Israel's history or the life of Jesus. This is God's word spoken to us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. And the... um, I'm sorry, in the Greek there, God breathed is theonustis. Theonustis, which means divinely breathed in. And this idea of us breathing in um, and it giving life is woven throughout Scripture. We understood that when God formed Adam in the Garden of Eden, what did he do? He formed Adam out of a pile of dirt and dust. And that's nothing more than it it was until God breathed into Adam the breath of life. We see in the New Testament that Jesus gathers his disciples around and he breathes into his disciples the Holy Spirit. And it's the same idea in the same language that we understand that God breathes into Scripture. He breathed into the Bible that we have. And so this is like God's DNA to us. You want to know more about God? Get into His Word. Get into His Word. God also speaks to us not just through general revelation or written revelation, but God uses other people. Thank God. Sometimes we need other people to slap us upside the head. Right? Or if you saw my sister's Facebook, slap us with a tortilla shell. Right? Nobody saw that. Right? Now you're all intrigued. You don't want to know. I'll just, I'm just going to move on. Go to Facebook. You'll see it. But God speaks to us through other people. Ephesians 4.11. So God, um, sorry, Christ gave Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So you can hear the word of God through other people. That's how God works. How many of you have this voice in your head that tells you right and wrong? And that voice in your head sounds a lot like your mother. Right? And we all have it. It's ingrained in there. And uh, and that's kind of the way that God speaks to us through pastors and through teachers and through other people. It's coming from a different source, but it's God's voice. And we discern that and we recognize that. Sometimes God goes a step further and God speaks to us supernaturally. We heard a prophetic utterance today and God uses that. In Acts chapter 2 there's this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and um, it's wild and crazy for a little bit. But the Holy Spirit brought gifts for the church and for use in the church, which Paul outlines in 1 Corinthians 12-14. Uh, through 14. You know, And one of those is the gift of prophetic utterance and we believe that comes from God. Well, how do we know that comes from God? Because we do a couple of things. We take it and we tear it apart. And, it, and your pastor discerns that. Whether this is for the, the benefit of the church or not. What is the spirit that it's given in? All of those play a factor. But beyond that, we take what is said through prophetic revelation and we match it up against written revelation. And the two have to... Be consistent. They have to match. If prophetic revelation does not match written revelation, your church has a problem. Figured I'd get an amen. That's how all cults start. Right? Cults start when people and believers place prophetic revelation above written revelation. You guys understand what I'm saying here? So we always have to fact-check everything against God's word because we know God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is consistent in his message to us. He's consistent in his love and his grace. And so when we hear people say outlandish things, maybe through prophetic utterances, we have to fact-check that. God not only speaks to us supernaturally, but maybe the most important way that God speaks to us is that Small, quiet voice that He speaks to our hearts. And we hear it and we discern it. I would love if God speaks to us in an audible voice. And sometimes He does. Sometimes God speaks to us like Saul on the road to Damascus. And and He recognizes it as the Lord's voice right away. Sometimes that happens. It rarely happens to me. 99.99% of the time, God speaks through a small, subtle voice to my heart. And what we do when the Lord speaks to us makes all the difference. It does. It makes all the difference in my life, and it'll make all the difference in your life. What do you do with the voice of the Lord in your life? It makes all the difference. And I'd like to say that we all obey and we probably do when God makes requests of us that we deem as reasonable. Yeah, God, I can do that. That's, I see where you're heading. I can do that. I can do that. But what happens when God makes requests of us that we deem as unreasonable? Like, I want you to go forgive that person who has hurt me deeply. Who cares nothing about me. Who's offended me and hasn't even asked for forgiveness. What do we do when God says, hey, you know what? You need to start giving and tithing in, in, into the kingdom of God. You need to start giving 10%. And you say, God, I, I don't want to. Right? I'm, I mean, and God, have you seen inflation lately? It's crazy, right? What happens when God says, hey, pack up everything you have and go like you did to Jonah? Not only go to a nice country that you're going to like and the people are going to be friendly. No, go to a place that you're going to hate. Go to a place that you personally despise. Go to a place where... uh, where it's a security threat, and you are not going to feel safe walking down the streets. Go to a place where you're not sure if they're going to receive you or not. This is where Jonah's at when God told Jonah to go. He says, Go to the Ninevites. Oh, I'm only on point one. I only got one verse in, folks. <laughs> Oh, this is going to be a long series. Right? Second consideration. There will always be a ship sailing in the wrong direction. There's always a ship sailing in the wrong direction. Let's let's read on. Verse 2 says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound at the port, and paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to to flee from the Lord. See, the Ninevites were not good people. They were barbarians. They were ruthless. That's what they were known for. Israel hated the Ninevites. That was their chief enemy at that time. And when you understood how bad Nineveh was, you would probably side with the Israelites. Nineveh, it says, the Assyrians, when they would come into a country and they would wage war to take it over, it was said that they were so brutal in the way they would handle captives that people would just be utterly afraid before they even got there. They would kill all sorts of people. It didn't matter, young, old, military, or civilian. Everybody was getting killed. On top of that, they would have their way with the women before they would kill them. And on top of that, there was no age restriction on the women that they chose. Trying to paint that in the best possible light in church. But that's how ruthless the, the, the Assyrians were. They would torture the kids. They would take the husbands out of town and they would skin them alive. They would bury them neck deep in the in the in the sand of the desert there. They would rip out their tongues. And while they're there dying in thirst, all night long, they would play Justin Bieber songs. (laughs) That's how bad it was, folks. Now that last part I made up. It's not scriptural. But the rest is. They were so ruthless that it was rumored that whole towns would commit suicide rather than face being overtaken by the Assyrians. And so I kind of get why Jonah doesn't want to go. Would you want to go? I'm not sure I would want to go either. And this is the fact that, that Jonah has this message from the Lord. He knows it's from the Lord. The Lord's calling him and telling him to do this, but yet within him he has this internal struggle because he ain't going out like that. Right? I I don't want to do it. Here's a spoiler alert, church. God oftentimes calls us to things that we don't want to do. He does. He does. He doesn't give us things that we want to do all the time. God calls Jonah to do something that he does not want to do. And Jonah's response is, nope, I'm going to Tarshish instead. Right, And Tarshish is 2,500 miles away from Nineveh. It's about as far as the east coast is from the west coast give or take a few hundred miles there. It is about, as far as traveling times in those days, it's about one year. One year of traveling in those conditions to get from Tarshish to Nineveh. One year is a long time to be running from God. Some of us here in the room have been running from God longer than that. It's a long time to run from God. And here is the the real truth of it. It's found in verse three. It says, "After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarsus to flee from the Lord." See, anytime you take a ship heading in the wrong direction, there's always a fare to pay. There's always a price to pay. And that price is steep. Let me tell you this running from God will take you further than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. Always does. So let's read on in our story, verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up. And call on your God, maybe he will take notice of, what, of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So this leads me to a third consideration today. The storms in our life are meant to grab our attention. They're meant to grab our attention. Well, isn't that, that's relief, church, that God isn't trying to destroy us with the storms in our life. Right? God doesn't want to destroy us. He sends things into our life to nudge us back on track. To get us back in the direction that we're supposed to be going. If you look at verse 4, it says, The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, but maybe a better Uh, translation of that would be the new living translation it says that the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea the Lord hurled and I like that that definition there it's uh, that's also more true to the original language it was written on but it tells us that this storm was not accidental the Lord is the one that brought it. The Lord hurled it. And the, the idea of hurl shows an intensity of which that storm was coming upon them. You know, like there's a difference when your kids toss the ball to their brother and sister and when they hurl it at their brother and sister. There's a difference. And so here, God is hurling The storm towards them. Which leads me to this truth that God knows the right intensity of the storm to get us back on track. He's not going to send us a storm that is too big. That will destroy us. Yet He's not going to send something into our life that doesn't get our our, our attention. The Lord knows the right intensity of the storm. And it leads me to another unfortunate reality. That Jonah is not the only person experiencing the storm. Every sailor on that ship has to deal with it. See when we run from God. We don't just hurt ourselves, but we hurt those around us. In teenagers, when you're running from God, you are not just hurting yourselves, but you're hurting your parents. How many times do we pray for our kids that they would get back on track? How many times do we weep and cry in prayer to God praying that God would send the right intensity of storm into their life to nudge them back on the right track. We don't want to we don't want them destroyed. We want them back where they're supposed to be. Well, it gets harder and as you get older Because when you're an adult and you're running from God you're not only hurting your parents that are probably still praying for you now you're hurting your spouse and your kids and everyone. And it's a terrible place to be to bring pain and to bring a storm on other people because we're running from God. It's truth. Whenever we run from God, we hurt more people than just ourselves. We hurt everyone around us. And so the sailors know that, you know, it's funny, they're not, they're not real biblical people, they're not real spiritual people, sailors. And uh, they're calling on all their gods and they realize, hey, we better wake up Jonah because our gods aren't doing nothing and so uh, they do what they only know how to do. They don't pray. They cast lots. And the Lord works through the lots and it falls on Jonah. I would imagine that that scene on that deck worked out like an intervention. You know, like, where, hey guys, this is getting real serious. Let's get everyone all, all hands on deck, which I wear my nice nautical shirt today all hands on deck, we're going, we're going on shore, we've got to figure this out or else we're all going to die. It's an intervention. And then at that moment, all eyes turn to Jonah They say, Jonah, you're to blame for what's going on. And so verse 8 says, so they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah in this moment has this awakening. It's, it's the sin in his life. And, and he's fighting, the, the crew there, they're fighting for their lights. And, and he, they're at their wit's end. They don't know what to do. And sometimes it just reaches a point when we're running from God too. We're just like Jonah. When other people start questioning us. And we have that coming to Jesus moment, you know, where we realize my behavior is not only causing a rift between me and God, but it's causing a rift between me and my spouse. How's on a rift between me and my kids? Me and my job. Me and the church. And Joda begins, maybe for the first time there on the boat, to see the impact of his decision. And he's feeling the weight of it. See, sometimes our worst case scenario is exactly what we need. Sometimes when we hit rock bottom, we have nowhere to go. And we've already burnt every bridge of everyone that ever, you know, we thought we could depend on. And we got nothing else. Sometimes our worst case scenario is is the best place for us. Because there is nowhere else to go but to God. And there's a beauty in that. I just preached at Teen Challenge um, last week. And uh, those guys were right there. And they understood it. There's nowhere else to go but to God. And there's a beauty in that. So maybe the storms that we have in our life aren't meant to cause us pain. They're not meant to destroy us. They're caused to nudge us back on track. And maybe when our world is falling apart, that is the right place for God to turn things around. And Jonah knows, at this point in the story, he knows exactly what has to happen. He knows that they have to throw him overboard. You've got to go over the ship. However, the sailors try to do it in their own strength. He answers them in verse 9, he says, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the Lord of God who made the sea and the dry land. And then in verse 10, they're terrified and they said, what have you done? Um, And they already knew that he was running away from the Lord because he told them. But verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? He says, verse 12, pick me up, throw me into the sea and it will become calm I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So they know what to do. Pretty clear, Jonah knows exactly what to do to remedy the situation. The sailors know because Jonah just told them. But verse 13 says, Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. This leads me to the last consideration here, the fourth one. Our storms of life will grow, they'll grow stronger until we learn to surrender. See, the sailors are battling for their life and they know what they got to do. They know they got to throw Jonah over, but yet they're trying to fix it in their own way. And they say, no, you know what? We're going to try to row back to land. But what happens? Verse 11 says the seas are growing rougher and rougher. And then also in verse 13 it says, instead the men did not, uh, they did their best to row back to land, um, but they could not. The sea um, grew even wilder than before. How many of you guys know when you try to fix your problems away from God that the storm just gets bigger and bigger? And it just gets wilder and wilder. And you know what happens? We just get deeper and deeper in it. And we say, man, I'm running from God, but you know what? I don't need God right now. I can fix this on my own. Truth is, the storm just intensifies more and more. And we suffer more and more. And the people around us suffer more and more. And no matter what they do, no matter how they tried to remedy it, the storm grew wilder than before. This, my friends, is the reality from running from God. So they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And in verse 15, they're obedient, and they take Jonah, and they throw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. Just as I close today, maybe Courtney, if you could come to the piano. I want you to know that the storms will not, they will not quiet in your life. Until you learn to surrender. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just want to bring this just to a point of challenge today. Because maybe you're here today and you identify a little bit with Jonah. And you say, man, I've been running from the Lord. I've been running from them, I've been going the opposite way, I've been going in the opposite direction and I feel, Pastor, I feel what you're saying, I feel like the storms in life are, they're intensifying. And maybe today in this place you say, you know what, I want to, I got to make it right. I need to surrender to the Lord. And if that's you here today, I just want you to slip up a a hand so that we can pray for you. If you say, Pastor, I've been running from the Lord, but today I want to fully surrender. I want to give my life back to God. If that's you, just slip up a hand. I'm going to pause. Okay, I see a hand. See hands. See hands. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I'm... I'm pretty good at, with the Lord. Pretty good at obeying, obeying the Lord. I, I've been doing the, the things that He asks, but yet there's certain areas of my life where I've not been obedient. There's certain areas that I've been running from. And while I'm still trying to do what the Lord says, there's just certain areas I'm just, I'm fighting and I'm wrestling with the voice of God and I'm, I'm trying to, to rectify, I'm trying to justify Maybe that's you here today, and you say, you know what? There's there's just an area of my life that's off track. There's an area of my life that I've not been surrendering to the Lord. Would you just lift a hand so I can pray for you today? Okay, I see more hands. Thank you. Thank you. Now, Lord God, today in this place, God, you've seen our hands. God and in the quietness of this moment Lord in the stillness God Lord we realize that our only hope is to surrender to surrender to you Lord God today I pray for every hand that was raised every hand that was raised God And I collectively say, God, we surrender. God, we surrender to you. No more running. No more weight and no more guilt of trying to do things our own way. But God, we surrender. God, today I pray that you would, just like Jonah, that you would send an agent to supernaturally redirect us. God, get us back on the right track. And I pray against every storm that's come into our lives that we think is going to kill us, we think it's going to destroy us, and And the weight we feel from those storms, God, I pray right now that as we surrender, Lord, that all those storms would quiet at the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you for what's being done in this place, God. And what's being done in our hearts. I'm going to ask that your Holy Spirit continues to solidify this this moment God help us help us be a people that surrender to you constantly that constantly yield Lord I'm sorry and Lord, I repent for, Lord, all the, all the times I've tried it on my own. All the times I've tried to fix things in my own power, in my own strength. And the times when I try to steer the ship back to shore. Lord, that your word tells us that when we, are, when we confess our sins, God, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And so, Lord, today, Lord, I stand renewed, refreshed, rejuvenated, because I'm forgiven. Now, Lord, I pray that as we go our separate ways, God, and we go out to our daily lives, our workplaces, God, that, Lord, that we would take this attitude of surrenderance, this mindset of yielding unto the Lord. Lord, would that be our foundation to constantly say, as Jesus said, it's not my will but it's your will. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. If you guys would like to spend some time in prayer, these altars are always open. I'm gonna invite you, if you need information on anything, Visit the welcome center back there. Uh, see Dell if you need pictures. Take it and all of that. But go in surrenderance today. God bless you.